I always enjoy starting with a story. There was this man who would come to work with a very distressed and worried look in his face. And it became so common that even his co-workers began to notice it. And so one day he came to work with that same distressed and worried look in his face. And one of his co-workers stopped and asked him, hey, what's wrong, man? Is, is everything okay? And he said, no, everything's not okay. So the co-worker says, well, what's going on, man? What's, what's happening? So the man begins to tell him the story. He says, well, several years ago, I came home one day and I found my wife whistling a tune called a T for two. And shortly thereafter, we had twins. And then the next year, I came home one day and I saw my wife watching the Three Musketeers movie on television. And shortly thereafter that, we had triplets. And so the co-worker says, well, what are you worried about now? <laughs> so the man looked down at his feet, shook his head, took a deep breath, let it out. And he said, well, last night I came home and I saw my wife reading a book. And the book was called The Birth of a Nation. You can, you can see why the man was worried. But there is a destructive habit that has been plaguing mankind throughout the ages. And it's become so common that it's become as natural as breathing. This habit is called worry. And worry is a spirit. And it is an enemy and a thief that is so skilled and so deceptive that even its victims don't even realize that they're being robbed of their joy, of their peace, of their time, of their mental energy, even their spiritual and emotional well-being. Tonight and next Wednesday night, we're going to talk on the topic of worry. We're going we're gonna to go into the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about this subject. And we're going to learn that worry is destructive and harmful to the believers. We're also going to learn that this is not the way that God wants us to live. But he wants us to live a worry-free, carefree, and anxiety-free life. We're also going to learn that, yes, it is possible to live a worry-free, anxiety-free, and carefree life. And then finally, we're going to learn how to overcome worry when it comes knocking at your door. Amen. So let's pray and let's begin. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. Lord, we thank you again for your presence. We thank you so much, Father God, for bringing your word, Lord God, and bringing it to a point where we can all receive it and understand it with simplicity and with understanding. Father, we're here tonight to hear what you have to say. Challenge us, Father God. Minister to us, Father God. Teach us, Lord God, and help us to come to a place, Lord God, where we'll become strong in the Lord and the power of your might through the teaching and ministering of your word. We thank you, Father God, tonight, opening up our hearts and depositing life into each and every one of us. And Father, we thank you this day and this night for your presence and your power and for all that you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Who suffers from worry? Everyone. Everyone is worried about something. 
either worried about a little bit of thing or you're worried about a lot. But whatever the case may be, we, everyone worries. Everyone has fallen victim to that. Worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Amen? And life offers many opportunities to worry. So that means there are many reasons to worry, which also means that the temptation to worry will always be present. The question I have for you is this. If you fall in that category, and if you are worried, or if you're a worrier, what is it that you're worried about? What is robbing you of your peace? What is robbing you of your joy? What is robbing you of your time? What are you losing sleep over? Could it be that perhaps maybe finances? Could it be that perhaps maybe you're worried about your marriage? Maybe perhaps you're worried about your health. Maybe you're worried about your children when they're out of your sight. You wonder if they're hanging with the right people. And what are they doing when they're with their friends? Or who are they communicating with by social media? Perhaps maybe you're just worried because of your future. Maybe you, you're starting a new job. Or maybe you're moving into a new city. Or maybe you're starting a new business. Or maybe you have a new addition coming to the family. Perhaps maybe you're worried about that. But whatever you're worried about, know this. This is not the life that God has called us to live. But a life that is carefree and free from all worry and anxiety. If you can imagine that. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And my friends, living a life filled with worry and anxiety and care is not God's idea of living an abundant life. Do you agree? So let's begin with worry. What is worry? First of all, let me just say this. The word worry is not found in the, in the King James Version. But there's a word that characterizes the word worry, and these words are thought, careful, care, anxiety, or anxious. These are the words that you'll find in the King James Version that characterizes the word worry. For instance, in Matthew 6.25, it says, Take no thought for your life. The word thought comes from the Greek word, meriamnao, which simply means to be anxious or to be worried. Or it also means to be distracted. So, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' sermon. And it's considered to be one of the greatest sermons that he ever gave. And these sermons are like instructions for believers. And not to mention the fact that if you study uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, you'll notice that he covers several different topics in his sermon. He talks about anger and retaliation. He touches on divorce. He talks about adultery in his sermon. He talks about uh, loving your enemies, just to name a few. But there's also one other topic that he talks about in his sermon, and that's the topic of worry. And so, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, and we begin reading from verse 25, from the New King James Version, and Jesus begins his sermon 
on worry. In verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he tells us, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, verse 31. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hallelujah. So it's pretty obvious that the great emphasis here in this sermon is worry. Six times you'll find that he mentions the word worry. As a matter of fact, it was written in such a sense that almost like he was trying to stop something that was already in progress, which means that his audience were worriers. And they were already filled with fret and anxiety. And Jesus was simply trying to stop the progress of worry by telling them to stop. As a matter of fact, three times he urges his listeners to stop worrying about their life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, stop worrying. So what is worry? First of all, let me just say this. There's a difference between being worried and being concerned. A preacher once explained it this way. To be concerned is when a person, place, thing, or an idea that is negative in nature, that needs to be addressed in some way, and you're trying to figure out a way to address it. Whereas worry is when a person, place, thing, or an idea that you no longer are dictating to, but is now dictating you. Let me give you an example. A young mother says, I'm so worried that my daughter will drown that I'm never going to let her anywhere near the water. That's a person who really worried. Whereas another young mother would say, I'm so, wor- I'm so concerned that my son can't swim that I've arranged to have him take swimming lessons. When a person is concerned, it moves them to do all that they can do to address the situation. Whereas worry will only drive you to desperation, panic, and fear, and more importantly, away from God. So worry, I mean concern, is you're in control. To be worried means that it controls you. So I want you to know the difference. So 
I, put, I picked up some, uh, some definitions from the uh, dictionary. So if you can put that up on the screen. These are some definitions on worry. The first one says it is a state of mental and emotional agitation and distress resulting from undue concern over something impending or anticipated. The second one says worry involves an uneasiness of mind or a brooding anxiety about a real or imagined situation or possibility. C says in anguished uncertainty and self-doubt about one's ability to cope with the situation to the point of becoming distressed, distraught, panicky, or tormented. And then the word worry refers to a troubled state of mind resulting from anxieties about current or potential difficulties. So these are the definition of worry, and it's not a pretty picture, isn't it? But now I want to show you a biblical definition for worry. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 7 says this, Casting all your cares or your anxieties or worries upon him, for he cares for you. The Amplified Version says, Casting the whole of your care, that is all of your anxieties, all of your worries and all of your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and he cares about you watchfully. Now the word care in the second part of that verse where it says, for he cares for you has a different meaning. Doesn't mean to be worried or to be anxious, but literally it means to be of interest or to concern oneself. In other words, what Peter is trying to tell us is this, that God wants to be concerned with the things that concern us. He wants to take an interest in every area of our lives. So when we're dealing with situations, God wants to concern himself. When we're going through some troubles, God wants to concern himself. Whatever it is that we're going through, whether good or bad, God wants to concern himself with the very things that concern us. Now go to Psalms chapter 55. Psalm 55, and in verse 22, says this, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved or to be shaken. Now, who are we to cast our burdens on? Who will sustain us? The Lord. And who will not allow us to be moved? The Lord. So based on these two verses of Scripture, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us, and cast our burdens upon Him, for He shall sustain you. What He's saying is this, that God wants to take responsibility over our worries. In other words, it is His responsibility to take care of everything that concerns us, everything that worries us, the things that keep us up at night. He wants to concern Himself and take responsibility for those things. Amen? So I'm not saying that we're to cast all of our cares and all of our burdens upon him so that he can worry about our problems. I'm saying that we're to cast all of our cares and burdens on him because he doesn't want us to worry about our problems. But God wants to take responsibility over everything that concerns us. So the biblical definition for worry, and you can put that up on the screen, is this. 
to assume a responsibility that is not necessarily ours to assume. In other words, if we know that it's God's responsibility to take care of all our kids and our worry, and we're taking that responsibility, then we've assumed it as our responsibility rather than God's. So when we're talking about the biblical def- definition of the word worry, we're simply saying that we're just assuming the responsibility that actually belongs to God. Let me just say this. When we worry, we fail to believe that God is bigger than any problem that we have. And when we worry, we fail to believe that God loves us enough to seek our highest good in the midst of every situation. But when we worry also, it's because we've taken God out of the picture and out of the equation and we take it upon ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I do a lousy job of dealing with my worries. How about you? So wouldn't it be easier if we just cast all of our cares to him and let him take responsibility? Amen? Amen. All right, so let's continue and let's look into the word of God and just see what the Bible says about worry. Go to uh, go to Proverbs chapter 12. It is interesting that the word worry comes from an old English word which literally means to strangle or to choke. And you see, that's what worry does. It chokes the very life out of us. It chokes us emotionally, it chokes us uh, spiritually, and it chokes us physically. As a matter of fact, worry, that word worry implies that there's a constant or a continuous uninterrupted attack that can cause a man to become desperate, depressed, panicky, or fearful. Worry is known as the mental monster. Say that with me. Worry Worry. is a mental monster because it's able to tear at our hearts, our minds, as well as our emotions. Look at what Proverbs 12, 25 says. Anxiety in the heart of man causes what? Depression. But a good word makes it glad. The Amplified Version says that anxiety in the man's heart weighs it down. In the field of medicine and psychology, they say that when a man is worried, it can literally weigh a man down, bring him to the point that it's so low that he becomes depressed. As a matter of fact, many doctors say that they spend a good chunk of their time examining people that are not sick. They're just worried. So imagine that. But we also know that worry can also cause some physical harm to our bodies. For instance, worry can cause headaches, can cause high blood pressure, can cause stomach disorders, can cause ulcers, can also cause us to lose sleep or lose our appetite. So worry can really affect not only our spiritual and our physical, but as well as our our emotional as well. Um, Go to Luke chapter 8. Worry can also affect your spiritual growth. In Luke chapter 8, we read the story where Jesus taught on the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And he taught about the seed that were being planted into four different grounds. And then later on, he took his disciples and began to explain the parable and how the seed is the word of God. And the ground are the different hearts of people. And in this particular seed, in verse 14, says this. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, 
go out and are choked with cares or worries, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now, if you can put that up in the Amplified Version, I want you to look at this. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are the people who hear, that is, hear the word. But as they go on their way, they are what? Choked and suffocated with what? The anxieties and cares and the riches and pleasures of life. When a person becomes so consumed with life and neglect everything else, it can cause worry and anxiety. As a matter of fact, when you become so anxious and so worried about life because you're chasing, you know, trying to uh, keep up with the Joneses or try to keep up with the latest technology or trying to, trying to keep up with the latest fashion, and you're so consumed, it can cause a person to become anxious and worried. And then what happens is it draws you away or your attention from God. Worrying about others can also hinder your spiritual life. You know, worrying what others think about you. You know, when you worry about what others think about you, think about this. You're no longer in charge. When you're so worried about what others think about you, you spend more time trying to find approval from them rather than approval from God. When you worry about what others think of you, you have no voice and you have no identity because your whole life is trying to find approval from others. A good example, go to Proverbs chapter 29 before I go there. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, the fear or the anxiety of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. A good example is King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. King Saul was a man who was very insecure. He was a man who always looked for the accolades and the approval of man rather than God. And when God had it commanded him to annihilate the Amalekites through the prophet Samuel, he did that. But he forgot that what God said to annihilate everything, that includes livestock, from the king on down as well, that's what he meant. But King Saul decided to not only annihilate everybody, but he decided to withhold the king and keep him alive. And then his people, his soldiers, went and took the livestock. And so when Samuel confronted King Saul and asked him, did you do what you were supposed to do? And, you know, King Saul said, yeah, I did it. I mean, but, you know, I mean, I did leave the king alive. And as they were talking, all of a sudden, Samuel, here's some sheep. I said, well, wait a minute. What is, is that sheep I hear? I said, oh, oh, yeah, but you know what? We were saving that so we could offer up, up to the Lord as, as a sacrifice. And, of course, in, in, verse 15, in chapter 15 of verse 24, after this confrontation with Samuel, he finally realized that he messed up. And he says this in verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Why? Because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. When you're so worried about what others think of you, it can prevent you from moving forward in your spiritual life. Because you're so caught up with trying to please everybody 
But you forget to please God. And you know, and just when you think that Saul learned his lesson, in verse 30, and I don't think it's there, but in verse 30, it says, he says to Samuel, listen, I've sinned. I messed up. I, I got it. But, but honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. In other words, let's put that aside because they don't need to know. Let's just, you know, let's walk together. Let's, you know, and, and let's forget all this. And then honor me before the people. And then walk with me. You know, you think that he had learned his lesson, that he sinned against God. But he was more concerned about what people thought of him that he wanted to look good in spite of what he had said and done. When you spend time trying to seek approval from others and worry what other people think, it's going to prevent you. Not only will it hinder your spiritual growth, it's going to prevent you from moving forward with God. Why? Because your mind is not to please God. Your mind is to please others. And you know how many of you know that you're never going to please everybody? And when you try to please somebody and you're looking for approval and they don't give you that approval, that's going to devastate you. So worry can really be harmful to us physically and spiritually as well as emotionally. Go to Psalm 25. David was distressed. In Psalm 25 and verse 17, he was praying deliverance from the distress that was caused by his enemies. He was at a point in his life where the enemies was converging and surrounding him, and he was fearing for his life. He had something to worry about. And he cried out to the Lord, and he says in verse 17, The troubles of my heart have, have enlarged or broadened. Bring me out of my distress. David's heart was troubled, filled with distress, filled with anguish, and was afflicted because of worry. And he cried out unto the Lord. Psalm 139, verse 23, David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my anxieties or my disquieting thoughts. And Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 23 says this, Solomon talks about man. He says, For all man's days are sorrowful and his work burdensome, even in the night... His heart takes no rest. This too is vanity. So you can see how worry can really affect your life. The fact that Jesus would take the time to preach a sermon on worry tells you how important it is for us to understand that. So worry has become the daily diet of our society today. As a matter of fact, most of our worries are based on groundless imaginations. As a matter of fact, you can say that the overwhelming majority of our worries are based on what ifs. What if I get cancer? What if I get into a car accident? What if I lose my house? What if people don't like me? What if I make a mistake? What if I mess up? What if I get laid off from work? And I can go on and on and on. From breakfast to bedtime, our lives are characterized by worry. 
Now, I'm getting used to this technology here. Praise the Lord. There's an ancient proverb about worry. It goes like this. Worry gives small things big shadows. In other words, worry can take something small and turn it into something big. There's a panel of psychologists who concluded in their study that 40% of what we worry never happen. 40% of the things that we worry about are things that never happen. 30% of the things we worry about are things concerning our past. 22% of the things that we worry about are over petty things. And only 8% of the things that we worry about have any real significance. So think about this. If you take away the 40% of the things that we worry about that nothing will happen. And if you take away the 30% of the things that concern our past, and if you remove the 22% of the things we worry about over petty things, that only leaves only 8% of our worries. And that's half the battle. But unfortunately, we are so filled with fear and concern, even over nothing. And I don't want to, you know, see a show of hands, but I'm sure there's some of us here who have been guilty of worrying about things that turn out that... Nothing really happened. And I'm guilty of that. It is said that for every person worrying about the end of the world, there's a thousand more worrying about the end of the month. Now, go to Luke chapter 10. Worry can lead to other worries. Luke chapter 10, we read the story of Martha. She was one of the Lord's faithful followers. But Martha had a, Martha was a worrier. And we begin in verse 38. Now it happened as they, meaning Jesus and disciples, went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But look at Martha, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. The, new King, uh, the King James Version said cumbered about, which means to distract with care. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. And then Jesus looks at Martha and answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled. But he doesn't, doesn't stop there. He says, you are worried and troubled about many things. What I want you to see here is this. Worry will open the door to other worries. Martha was just compiling more and more problems with her that she became so troubled and worried about many things. But her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to the teachings of the Lord. Martha was distracted with much serving. Mary was sitting at peace. Martha was not at peace. The question I have is this. We know what was distracting Martha. But the question is, 
What was she being distracted from? She was being distracted from being with the Lord Jesus. From spending time with the Lord. Whenever we find ourselves, listen, it is very easy to be distracted by the things that we're sincerely doing to please the Lord. Good things. But watch this. And I want you to put that up on the screen. But Jesus does not want us to be doing for him at the expense of being with him. Let me say that again. Jesus does not want us to be doing for him at the expense of being with him. We can get so caught up with serving God and doing great things that we tend to neglect the more important things. Jesus says Mary chose the right thing. Martha, I'm sure, thought that she was doing the right thing. But it was at the expense of being with him rather than doing for him. And the moment we find ourselves getting frustrated, getting anxious, getting troubled and worried about many things, that's the time for us to stop what we're doing, take a step back, and spend some time with the Lord. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, it says this, You will show me the plan of, of the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy, gladness, or rejoicing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He said, you will show me the path of life. How can God show you anything if you don't take the time to be with him? How can you enjoy the fullness of joy if you're not in his presence? And saints, it's so important that we do not neglect being in the presence of God. Because that's when God begins to show you things. That's when God begins to reveal things to you. That's when God begins to prepare you. Show you where you're going. Show you where he's taking you. Show you where you need to be. Show you how much you, you need, that you need to have to get to where you need to go. But when you find yourself cumbered about thinking that you're doing good. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing good. There's nothing wrong with serving the Lord. There's nothing wrong with doing for God. But not at the, ex at the expense of being with Him. And saints, we, there's a fine line, and we need to know where that line is. Worries, or what I should say, when a worrier worries, it's because he's ruled by his circumstances. Go to... Uh, Matthew chapter 14, and it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. When we worry, we're not only assuming responsibility that are not ours to assume, but we're, what we're also doing, we're choosing to be mastered or ruled by the circumstances rather than God's truth. We see an example with Peter, and I don't need to read the whole thing, but you know the story where they were all, you know, these are rugged, seasoned seamen out at sea in the middle of a storm until they saw a figure walking in the water and they thought it was a ghost. And they began to scream like little girls in a schoolyard until Jesus says, wait, wait, don't be afraid, it's me, it is I. And of course, Peter, as impulsive as he was, says, Lord, if that's you, 
bid me to come, command me to come out to see you. And Jesus gives the command, come. And of course, one of the greatest acts that Peter has ever done was jump out of that boat, because it took faith to step out of that boat. While the storm was brewing and the wind was boisterous and everything else. And the Bible says in verse 29 that he walked on the water to go to Jesus. In all recorded history, only two men had ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. Peter made the history books. But in verse 30, the moment he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus, or I should say the truth, and looked at the boisterous wind, what started out as a miraculous experience became a sinking experience. When we find ourselves being worried, we take our eyes off the Lord because we've been ruled and mastered by the circumstances. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever been to a place in your life where you become so worried, even though you know the promises of God, even though you know what the Word of God says, but you become so consumed by the, by the cares of life that you tend to forget what God said? And that is so common to, with so many of us. We make a choice. We take our eyes from the truth, which is the word of God, and we allow ourselves to be mastered by the circumstances around us or the very thing that causes us to worry. And that's what Peter did. That was Peter's mistake. But thank the Lord that Jesus was dead to pull him out of his situation because that's what the Lord does with us as well. Amen. Amen. When we worry, it means that we've shifted our focus, our focus of attention from the all-sufficient power of God to the circumstances or the things that we worry about. So worry has become so much a part of our lives that for some of us, we don't even know that we're doing it because it's become as natural as breathing. But we need to recognize that worry is not healthy, spiritually, physically, or emotionally. And we need to recognize that because when we worry, it means that we've allowed ourselves to be ruled by the circumstances. It means that we've shifted focus. We took our eyes off the word. We took our eyes off the truth to focus on the circumstances that is around us. And we see that example right here. Now, let's continue. Now, for some of you, this may be a shock. To some of you, maybe. Maybe not to others, but worry is sin. Romans 14.23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Because you see, worry is a display of lack of faith in the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Worry is a spiritual problem because it involves a distrust and lack of faith in Christ. You can say that worry is the ultimate rebellion against God and his promises. Go to Philippians chapter 4. 
And in verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Let's stop there. Be anxious for nothing. That is not a request. It is a command. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, stop worrying about your life. That is not a request. It is a command. When the scripture says, be careful for nothing, he literally means do not worry about anything. That word nothing in the Greek means not even one thing. But when we fail to not be anxious for nothing, then we're in violation of a direct command from God. Now, humanly speaking, when Paul wrote this letter, the Philippians had every reason to worry. They were suffering from severe persecution. They were dealing with, with, uh, with in, um, strife and division among themselves. They also were dealing with false teachers that had joined their, their, their congregation who were always constantly attacking the cross of Christ. There were also those in their group that were dealing with, with practical needs. You know, they needed food, they needed shelter, they needed clothing. But they were under some severe, tremendous temptations and trials. The kind of trials that can cause anyone to become worried and to become filled with anxiety, humanly speaking. But the Word tells us not to worry. Think about that. When Jesus tells me, stop worrying about your life, that tells me that he's got a plan. That, thing, that means he's got something cooking. Because I don't believe that God's going to leave us right where we are. You know, it's interesting how we can believe God for our redemption. That we can believe that God has brought us from death to life, from darkness to light. He saved us from, from eternal hell unto everlasting life. And yet not believe God for the practical matters of life. That just doesn't make any sense. So if we can believe God that he saved us from eternal hell, then shouldn't we believe God for everything else? So worrying is a violation of God's direct command. But more importantly, more important than worry affecting our physical, our, our, our spiritual, and our emotions, is when we worry, what are we communicating to God? And what are we communicating about God? Go back to Matthew chapter 6. If you are a worrier, not a warrior, but a worrier, what kind of faith are you manifesting in your life? Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. Let's go there. Jesus said, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If you are a worrier, then the faith that you're manifesting is either little faith or no faith at all. As a matter of fact, ultimately worry can also undermine your Christian witness. Because when you worry, you're putting question or you put into question what kind of God we serve. 
No, we like to proclaim God as God is awesome. God is powerful. God is, is a provider. God is a healer. But is that the witness that you're presenting when you worry? Go to Matthew, well, let me just say this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you don't need to turn there. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So everything that we do is to glorify Him. But when our faith in Him is not where it should be, then we are not really glorifying Him. When we worry, the message that we're sending is, Lord, I don't trust you. Look at, worry sends a message that God is incapable of doing, capable of doing anything about our situation. That's the message that you're giving to him. Listen, if we are children of God, how many children of God here? Everyone. If we are children of God, then by definition, we have a heavenly father. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says this, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So to act like we don't have a heavenly father, and asking, what shall we eat? What shall we drink and what shall we wear is to act like an unbeliever in God's eyes. If you're still in Matthew, we'll go to Matthew chapter 6 once again. Jesus talk, talks about this. He says in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we wear or what shall we drink? For after all of these things, who seeks? Who is seeking all these things. The Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Unbelievers. The unbelievers. So in other words, we ought to live above the level of non-Christians. When we worry, the, the, the message that we're sending about God is that we're, just as, we're no different than an unbeliever. The message that we're sending, actually when we worry, we're putting a question to God's character and person. Think about this. See, we don't, we don't even think about these things. We don't even realize that, that we do these things every time we worry. But when we worry, we do put the question about God. Is he capable of taking care of your needs? Is he capable of delivering you in your situation? Is he capable of being there when you need him? Is he capable of strengthening you in your time of weakness? We always claim that. But when we find ourselves in the midst of the situation... That's when we really find out where we are spiritually. And listen, I'm not telling you this or sharing this with you to bring any condemnation to anyone. I'm not trying to bring any conviction upon you because that's the Holy Ghost's job. I'm simply letting you know what the Word of God says about worry and how it can be harmful to the Christian believer. But it's not all negative here. Because even Jesus took the time to preach on the message of worry. He didn't have anything good to say about it. But I'm, letting you, I'm just making you aware that these are the dangers of worry and how it can affect us in more ways than one. 
The bottom line is this. When we worry, we've ceased to trust in the Lord. And that, my friend, is sin. When we worry, we're not living up to God's standards. They say that sin means to miss the mark. That is, the mark is the mark that God has set for life or the standard. So the question is, what is God's standard? Well, Romans 1.17 says this, the just shall live by faith. That is the standard that God has set for us to live, for all believers to live. Anything short of that is living below his standards. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, he's setting the standard. Anything below that is living below his standard. God set the mark. He set the standard. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Again, that's a standard by which God set. Anything below that would be considered living below his standard. And I can go on and on. Psalm 55, 20, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Again, that's a standard, the mark that God has set. Living below that is living below his standards. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. See, and, and I can just go on, but these are God's standards. And if we're living below that standard, then we're in sin because sin is missing the mark. But hear this, hear me now, and, and please, again, don't misunderstand me. Everyone deals with that. Everyone struggles with that. But there is a way to overcome that, and we'll talk about that next week. There is a way that we can overcome that, and the wonderful thing about God is His grace and His mercy. And God is going to be there to help us by His Spirit. He's going to help us to, to encourage us to be strengthened in these areas in our lives. Because every one of us who deal with this, there is hope. Okay, so I don't want you walking away and leaving here feeling condemned and feeling like this is it. No, it's not it. I'm just making you aware of it. Now that you've been alerted, God now can begin to start helping you. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to have to close here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight. Father, I know this message is probably not as popular as some, but Father, we also know that, Lord, it is a necessity in our lives. We need to understand the, 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 the harm that worry provides. But Father, I thank you, Lord, for setting us free tonight. I thank you, Father God, not only for making us aware of this, Father God, with the truth, but I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to now help us to get out of this situation and out of this lifestyle. Lord, we want to live above the standard that you set and not below. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace that will help us. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that will empower us and enable us to live above the standards that you've set for us. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord God. And, Lord, I just thank you right now, Father God, that if we've, that if we've fallen short, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you, Father God, for setting us back and bringing us in right relationship with you, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that you'd not leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father God, that you're going to work with us, that you're going to help us, and you're going to bring us to the other side. And Lord, we look forward to living a life that is worry-free, carefree, and anxiety-free, Lord God, because we know it's possible. And Lord, for this, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.